Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, thanks for coming down to the studio today. Thanks. My pleasure. It's awesome. So we get to start with you pronouncing your name. Jason Schleip. Schleip. Okay. Yes. And it has this, yeah, it's not an, obvi- it's not an obvious name from the, the spelling of it. So there you go. Yeah. Um, I was so excited to have you on the show because um, you did a franchise from your food business and lots of people think about doing that and very, very few people actually do it. So I am fascinated to hear your story, and I'm sure lots of people who listen to us are going to be fascinated, too. Great. Yeah. Looking forward to telling it. Yeah. (laughs) Good. So why don't you, um, why don't we start just by having you um, tell people what you're doing right now, and then we'll go back to the beginning. So right now I'm a a consultant with the SBDC, which is a small business development center. Uh, My part of the state is southwestern Wisconsin, but we serve the entire state of Wisconsin. And we're based out of the University of Wisconsin and also sponsored, co-sponsored by the SBA. And what we do is we go around and we help small businesses around the state either start or fund or manage or help to sell or basically any phase of their business operations we help them with. That's fantastic. And you, we're, we'll get there, but you sold your, your franchise too, right? Yep, yep. Oh, I God. Sold. So this is so exciting because we get to go through the whole arc. Sure. So tell me how you got started. So we started, it was actually, a, me and partners started uh-huh. started my pizza uh, company in 1992. We were seniors here at University of Wisconsin, and we just decided we were going to do pizza and do it better than everybody else, even though neither one of us had any pizza experience. That is a riot. <laughs> Right in away, your dorm, so, you just decided? No, nope, well, I mean, in our apartment, yeah. Uh, yeah and it yeah. was. It was like at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. one night, trying to order pizza. Nothing was good. And we were like, oh, we can do better than this. And uh-huh. we just kind of went from there. Wow. So did one of the two of you were cook? Like, was this you um, cooking pizza? Or? So he had worked at a pizza place when he was in, like, ninth grade. And I never. <laughs> I think I delivered pizza once when I was in maybe 11th grade. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, I know we didn't really have any, besides eating pizza, we didn't really right. have that much experience from it. But we we're both from a city uh, named Kenosha, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which is a huge Italian town with a lot of really good mom-and-pop pizza places. So we mm. figured we were going to bring that type of pizza and, and bring it to bring it to Madison. And uh-huh. We actually went into it with the goal of growing it and, 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 and taking it to the whole country is kind of what our original goal was. Oh, my goodness. So I grew up in New York, and oh, wow. I in, in New York, I... I tell people that my friends growing up were either Italian or Jewish. So in both cases had incredible food. And going back 30 years later to the town I grew up, the same pizza place, Sal's, is still there. Like the same grease on the wall. So what style pizza was it that you did? So we did a, we did a, it's kind of Chicago-ish, I would say, you know, because Kenosha is really close to Chicago. Mm. So Kenosha had a lot of influences from Chicago style pizza, but Mm -hmm. we had three types of pizza. We had a thin crust. Mm-hmm. And a deep dish and a stuffed. And oh, okay. All of them were pretty unique at the time to Madison, and and it it really once we kind of introduced it and 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 figured out how to actually do it, it, it took off and went really well. That's so crazy. So you did this in Madison. What was it called? 
uh, Falbo Brothers Pizzeria. Falbo yep. Brothers they're, Pizzeria. They're still all over okay. Madison, yeah. Wisconsin in general. Yeah, yeah. That's a, Okay, so you started with one pizza place, right? Yeah, just one. Okay, where was it? So it was on University Avenue. Okay. Uh, right in, a, in the first floor of an apartment building called mm. La Ciel. So like the 500 block university, kind of where, if you can picture it, it's kind of where Gorham turns into university right oh, around the turn. Oh, sure, and yeah. Maybe Two steps from campus, so yeah. it was a pretty good location. Really good location. Yeah. So, how, when you got that original location, because um, um, getting a, the right lease is so important, right? Yep. Do, did you know anything about that when you did it, no, or did you just sort really. of luck out? We, uh, it was complete luck. I mean, complete luck, and, luck and skill, right? Yeah, like yeah, you make of course. Luck, but. Um, we just kind of hoofed it around uh, town. We wanted to be close to campus, sure. and we ended up finding a spot that was never a restaurant before, and it was mm-hmm. just tiny and super good rent and super good location and luckily available. We, we lucked out. Lucked and in out. 1992, there was a decent amount of spots open, too. It was kind of like coming right out of a recession type thing, so... There was, yeah, I guess we lucked out time-wise, too, that time. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because people think about a recession as all gloom and doom, but there's some things that are really good if you can time it right, right? Yeah. Coming out of the recession. Yeah. Yeah, and and downtown Madison at that time was not like it is now either, right? No, there was a lot of empty space. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were, I think the building we were in called La Ciel was one of the few of the first big high-rise kind of modern apartment buildings down there on that whole block of university. Now there's probably eight. Right. But yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember those days. And um, yeah, okay, so you opened your first, and you, you guys had the idea way in the beginning that you're going to have a franchise. Is yeah. that kind of what you were thinking all along? So or? both of us were still in school. My, uh-huh. my goal was to finish my MBA or get my MBA, and uh-huh. his, his goal was to finish his metallurgical engineering degree. And so what we really wanted to do, we didn't really want to just do that one spot. We just, we really wanted to take what we called Kenosha pizza at the time mm-hmm. and, and share it with everybody. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So you opened one and then what happened? Um, it, well, I mean, it was kind of, <laughs> we really didn't have any experience, so it kind of took off a little strangely, but luckily we were university students mm-hmm. and we got a lot of press from oh, especially like university papers and things like that. So I think the fellow student population was pretty forgiving of us right away. Uh-huh. I mean, they could tell we had pretty good stuff, but we didn't really know what we were doing. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, it took, you know, it took a few months to get going. And then my partner wanted out. He wanted to finish oh. his engineering degree. So I kind of had to make a choice if I was going to finish my MBA or do the pizza place. And I mm-hmm. said, I'll just put my MBA on hold for a while. Now, 30 some years later, um, <laughs> yeah, a while. <laughs> um, and ended up buying it from him and uh-huh. running it by myself. And then, uh-huh. Uh, so that yeah. was all when you just had one. Yeah, that was just when we had one, and okay. it was within the first six to eight months, all this Whoa. happened. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how these things happen, right? Oh, People yeah. think, oh, my God. Absolutely. Like, oh, yeah, I'll have this partner forever, and then yeah. that didn't quite work. It is interesting, too, how, how people get in theory, like the idea of being an entrepreneur, but boy, in practice, it's a little frightening, right? Oh, yeah. You know what the hardest part is, is people don't realize that even in the best business, you're not going to get paid right away. I mean, you're going to work for free for a long time or, you know, I guess we were getting paid Pretty with like close tips to free. or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. tips and pizza. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. you know, I think people realize that after a few months and they can make the choice, you know, you want to keep doing it or not. And mm-hmm. One of us chose to keep doing it and one of us didn't, so... Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so how long did you just have one location? So it was about three years, uh-huh. um, and we started right away, maybe a, a year and a half into it, mm-hmm. I started looking for a second location, because mm-hmm. after the first year, it really took off on campus here. And Were you doing like delivery? and We were doing delivery mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and, and pick up and take out. We really didn't have any dine-in. Mm-hmm. What, what did it for us is we were, since we were young, um, and used to kind of being up till two and three in the morning. Sure. We stayed up late and, and, uh-huh. and, and were open late. And back then, this was before everybody stayed open super late. Like, you know, now McDonald's, Taco Bell, like everybody's open late, right? right. It wasn't that way back then. And yeah. we, we built a huge after bar business, as we called it. Mm, sure. Totally get that. Yep. Yeah, cool. Okay, so year and a half, two years. No, you said three years in one location. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, and then where'd you end up? Where was the second? So, well, our first goal is we wanted, or I should say me now, right? Yeah, it was yeah, only it me. was you. But um, we were looking for a Big Ten close replicate of what we had here. Oh. Like, so we traveled to a few different Big Ten campuses mm-hmm. and uh, decided that Iowa City was oh. was just a kind of a really close almost exact match of what we had here. And it had a ton of people from Chicago, so they understood the the pizza. Mm-hmm. And we figured we could duplicate what we had here out there. Mm-hmm. Same hours and everything. So right. that's where we went for our second that's location. That's so cool. Because most people, when they think about, gee, I'm going to open another location, they're still thinking about the same city, right? True, yep. Yeah. So that was ambitious of you. It was. And yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it wasn't really far enough to be considered. A lot of times when people open a franchise that's too far away, they kind of consider it like an island, like oh, the middle sure. of nowhere. But we were close enough in Iowa City that we could we could get all our stuff from the same suppliers mm-hmm. and get kind of the same demographics as we have here. Yeah. And so, Iowa City is like a little Madison it in is. a way. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it's it really is. It's very similar. The yeah. only thing it doesn't have is like the state government like we right. have. But the student populations are about the same. Mm-hmm. And they have like a big hospital there like we did. So, you know, it's almost the same mm-hmm. thing as we get. Just maybe mm-hmm. a fifth of the size. But. Yeah. So same suppliers worked and you opened and did it, Was it, were there surprises or did it do well right away? It, um, I mean, you know, it, it's weird. Usually when you, when you open a spot, it, it I would say it did well right, mm-hmm. right, right, well right away. That's mm-hmm. hard to say. Um, but there's always that initial, it does well. And then you get a letdown in any oh, food sure. service yeah. and you got to, kind of come back from that letdown, mm-hmm. and, and it did. It did exactly that. We were really popular, kind of after the first six months had a little letdown. Mm-hmm. And then in college campuses, summertime is really slow. Right. So I- we- yeah, we kind of slingshotted into the next uh, school year, mm-hmm. and the next school year we just took off, and it was it was awesome. Great, great, yeah, because because yeah, that is true about campus. I mean, just drive downtown around campus still in the summer. It's like whoa, I'm not. You know, waiting at lights where a million people across. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. So, so that was your second location, and then, are were you starting at that point to go? Wow, I need to get ready to franchise this, or was it still like, yeah, I'll, I'll own a couple more locations? I, so yeah, I, I wanted a franchise. I didn't really mm-hmm. want. Um, I didn't really want anything to do with owning a second location, honestly. Oh, okay. Just because it's it's hard. Like when you when you devote hundred percent of your time to one store, it's hard, right? Yeah. But if you split your time, two, right? Then it's really hard. And yeah. I didn't think we were anywhere near organized enough, at least me personally, to be able to control two stores. Because I always right. have something funny about like if my money's at a store in the register, I kind of want to be 
somewhere near that store mm-hmm. paying attention. So Right. So this the first one, um, so the one in Iowa City, was that already somebody a franchise? So it was a franchise. It was an employee wow. of mine from okay. uh, from Madison. Yeah. Who was our, our first franchisee. Wow. So it was a, an employee who kind of knew the whole gig. He right? did. And that made it easy too because I didn't really have to train him. Yeah. Did you did you go through all the documentation of process and stuff to to get ready to open that one or on my first one I'd say no I yeah. didn't and if you know hindsight if I were to do it over again or advise as I do now somebody else to do it I would definitely say get get the process in mm-hmm. um, but since it was somebody who worked for me and and kind of was like my right hand man here mm-hmm. um, it wasn't even yeah. on my mind I just you know wanted him to do what he was doing here and sure keep it up right <laughs> sure you know and they're 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 um Examples like under, Underground Food Collective here, who who has done sort of similar things with staff that have opened up other, not necessarily always an underground business, called brand name that oh, way, sure. but um, yeah, but they they haven't like. There's sort of two ways, right? You can do that without saying it's going to be a franchise and I'm going to put all these systems in place so I could sell franchises. That's one thing. And it seems like there's another where people like you who have a restaurant or something will go, oh, I got employees. I'll have, you know, I'll help them get into the business. And it's a a bit less formal. It was, yeah, way less formal. Way less formal. <laughs> and did that work? Cause he, it did. Yeah. It did. And mm-hmm. again, as we were speaking earlier about some luck, I think some luck was involved because it was just the right person at the mm-hmm. right time. Him and I were the same age. We, I found the city that was almost exactly the same. Sure. Um, the first thing we did when we, when we went around to all these Big Ten schools is we, we tried all the pizza. And mm-hmm. none, none of the schools really had good pizza. So right. we, we didn't worry about that part working or not. But mm-hmm. But um, I think we lucked out in the in the, in the scope and scale of things, mm-hmm. how it worked. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what was your life having two locations? Well, it was it was good. Um, you know, the, the the benefit of franchising is you really don't have to worry about franchised stores as much as you worry about your own store because sure. the franchisee is the one who takes basically all the management and the risk mm-hmm. of the of the location. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're the people doing the orders and hiring the workers and it's mm-hmm. their money on the line. Um, you know, all you really have to do is worry about process, you know, are, are, mm-hmm. are things being followed, exi- well, close enough mm-hmm. to the same as they are here. Um, you know, are you getting paid? Are you getting your, your royalties? Um, yeah. You worried about stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And, he, you know, he was a friend of mine, so I was definitely worried about whether or not he was making money. I oh, mean, sure. That's important. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't want to set our friends up for failure, no, right? No. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's so interesting about franchises, too, because brand is such an important driver of so much in food that, that, you know, you have this brand that you developed here in this store, and then part of this whole franchise thing is figuring out a way to keep that brand consistent across all the franchises, right? Oh, it's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the, what the customer service is like, what the product is like, what the interior looks like, all that stuff is part of the brand. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So were you standardizing that stuff at that point or just... We standardized everything except the look okay. of, the, of, the, of the stores uh-huh. because... As we grew, yeah. it seemed like almost every location was a second generation mm. type uh, deal where we had bought 
or not bought, but but moved into a store that had been something else before, mm-hmm. and it went out of business, and we got the location kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. And in order to save costs for the franchisee, we right. usually went in and just you know made sure we we kept the food the same mm-hmm. and the and the the logo the same and things like that. But the stores looked a lot different. Mm-hmm. And. Did you start adding seating ever, or do they never have seating? So the first two stores, ours here and mm-hmm. the one in Iowa City, did not really mm-hmm. have seating. I mean, when I say seating, I mean, you know, eight people can maybe right. sit down and, right. and pull up a chair and have a pizza or a slice, right. but nothing where there's like table service or anything. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so now you have two stores. What was your third? Our third store was actually in Boulder, Colorado. Oh my goodness! Talk, I mean, again, talk about yeah. a way away. <laughs> and that was, um, you know, again, that was a, a an employee, new employee, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Well, hey, I just really want to be in Colorado. I'll open up a, a pizza place for mm-hmm. you out there." And so, me being me back then, I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> no, you know, no research needed. Let's just do Let's it. Let's do it." Um, and I, that ended up being okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it eventually, after a few years, sold. Mm-hmm. I, I, we kept, it was kind of it was really hard to manage a, a store that was a thousand miles away. Oh, I um, bet. You know, as much as I loved going out there, and I went out there as much as I could. Right. Um, you know, it just was there. There was a gap there mm-hmm. that couldn't be filled. Like we were using a different supplier, trying to match things. Right. And it just it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. The store stayed open for a long time after we sold it mm-hmm. and changed names. But mm-hmm. yeah, we we changed it up. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And was it just harder to get it going out there? Or um, it was a it was a completely different market that yeah. we didn't understand. And mm-hmm. if anybody's ever going to take any advice from what I have to say, you know, make sure you open up in markets you understand and, yeah. and don't take the thousand mile leap like we did. That was kind of far, but yeah, I mean, we did it. So, you know. Well, and you survived, it sounds like. So, um, yeah, Boulder right now is such a crazy hotbed for natural category food oh, companies, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, There's just sure. craziness out there, right? And it's, so it's interesting to hear something that actually didn't work in Boulder. That's, you know. Yeah, there was a lot of there's actually a lot of businesses out there that mm-hmm. just kind of run and go because people have a lot of money, right? And they don't right. really necessarily need to make any money for right. a few years well, because they got a pretty true. good backstop. Yeah, and we found that out out there. That yeah, interesting. There's a lot of places out there not making money but just kind of staying open. Oh, and interesting. You know, it's a different crowd than yeah, out here. Totally. Different, different student, different everything. Yeah, everything is different. Okay, so that happened, um, and then what? Oh, and then. Took a few years off from growing the businesses. We kind of let the the um, the Madison one and the Iowa City one were the only two going for a uh-huh. long time until mm-hmm. like the early two thousands. Oh, um, okay. We had some plans of expansion, but then that uh, kind of two thousand one whole re- dot com bust right, and recession and right. thing hit, and it just we didn't really go anywhere. And mm-hmm. the nine eleven thing hit, and that kind of put oh, a damper yeah, on everything. Right, and um, that kind of crimped everything. Yeah, and it was really hard in the end of the 90s to run your business because kind of like right now, there was like no unemployment. Right. People had a lot of money. So, you know, it was, it was kind of stressing. So Hard to hire people. Hard to hire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Quality people. Right, right. And retain them. <laughs> and retain them, yeah, yeah exactly. It's too many options, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you kind of rode out that period with two, and yeah. then something must have happened. So, yeah, and in, in uh, right about 
2002. Mm-hmm. We were we had actually moved to a new location a block down the road mm-hmm. on University Avenue with my spot. And one day the landlord just kind of sprung it on us that he was closing closing the building. Oh and, and no! Re, remodeling, re, like redoing it into a big giant kind of bar nightclub type thing. Oh no! So we're like, oh, I'm like, all right, got to find a new place to go. Right. And so we ended up, I ended up moving down on Park Street, kind of right by Meritor and St. Mm. Mary's and that little location. And um, it was good because it kind of got as I was growing up and aging and getting older than my clientele. Yeah. It was nice to kind of get away from that craziness uh-huh. and. I was able to focus a little more on on maybe kind of what I wanted to do, and and right. I was always in in the middle of do I want to keep doing this or not? And sure. The only way I'm going to keep doing this is to grow and get more stores. Yep. Right. So you moved to a, a bit different clientele, yeah. but you were by a hospital, right? Yep. So yep. I, so how did that work? And still close enough. We and were campus the, is pretty close. Yeah, there. we're yeah. I mean, we're kind of right where um, West Washington dumps into Park Street yes, there. So yes. really close, close enough to close everybody to still. And yep. so much easier to drive for our drivers to oh, get around. Sure. For seven, eight, well, 10 years, we messed around with... Uh, you know, campus oh. parking and city parking and city traffic, and it was nice to move out there. But yeah, yeah. and it it actually helped because it mm-hmm. smoothed out our business too. We nice. didn't have that crazy only dependent on university students to get our business, and that right. kind of led me into the next idea, which is you know what we can we can expand this franchise by mm-hmm. not only going to campuses, right? And right. that move, so I guess it was unfortunate at the time, but it ended up being fortunate mm-hmm. because it changed my view of my market. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny because I see a lot of entrepreneurs on campus and not just Madison campuses across the board are, are you know, or, or they think of if they're in engineering school, they're always, because that's their experience, right? They're thinking exactly. of businesses to serve students, yep. right? And um, getting beyond that really does increase your possibilities in this world. So did you have tables at the new location? Or once again, still not a lot? Yeah, once again, no, no not really. Yep. And that was forced because that's kind of the spot we were into. Right. And by choice is I just, you know, I was there running the business a lot mm-hmm. and I just, just something I didn't want to deal with. Like it was, right. it was, we really did well, mm-hmm. you know, with the food going out the back door did right. way more than the food going out the front door, you right. know, delivery wise. So mm-hmm. we wanted to keep it with that. Got it. Got it. All right. So then where did you go? So then we ended up, it kind of took off then. I don't know what it was, like maybe just changing my mindset or just luck Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then the mid-2000s, we opened up a a spot in Middleton, Mm -hmm. which and then we opened up a spot in Coralville, Iowa, which is basically the same thing as Middleton is to Madison. So it's a... a, it's a west side, kind of middle class suburb, right? Right. right? Just like Middleton is here. And right. we actually opened up about the same time in, in I think, 2005, mm-hmm. 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and those ended up doing well. I mean, completely different business model, but the, right. the food was the same. And mm-hmm. I think I think people appreciated the high quality of the food in, yeah. in um you know, in those kind of college towns that weren't college kids, right? Right. So, yeah. Right. Okay. So um, what was different about the business model in those two? Um, Other than Hours-wise, we focused a lot more on uh, lunches for, oh, for okay. you know, businesses mm-hmm. and a lot more dinner time, a lot more families. Um, mm-hmm. We just... We, so not so know. much the bar crowd, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think... I think our big thing that that I had to get over was, uh, you know, we were offering a really high quality product right. at way too low of a price. Uh-huh. You know, focused on 
kind of the big volume after bar where sure. you kind of can put on anything. Right, and anything will do. Money. Right, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. And I think when we moved to those more suburban locations, I think it told us that we could have a model that would fit mm-hmm. in both situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I appreciated and enjoyed those suburban locations a little more mm-hmm. because it was just less chaos. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And let fewer drunk people oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing against that because they made us a lot of money over I the get years. It. But, but, I, I get but, it. Yeah, dealing with them, especially when you're dealing with like 20-year-olds when you're in your 30s, it right. was a lot harder. <laughs> right. When you were 22, it was like, <laughs> no yeah, problem. dude, I know, yeah, I get no it. Problem. And now it's like, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, then you had four locations. Then, did, yeah. did those suburban... Um, locations have seating? Um, one did. The Coralville, Iowa one did. did? The, the Middleton mm-hmm. one didn't really. It was, again, mm-hmm. just a few. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of, we just kind of adapted to whatever location we found. Mm-hmm. So if it was big enough for seating or had uh, you know, a second generation store with seating right. in it, then that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And, and those two were franchises? Yep, they were franchises. Okay. Yeah. So like, did you, what kind of process did you have to go through to kind of get set up to be franchise, you know? Well, after the first one, yeah. you know, you learn, well, there's always rules, right? There's always rules. Right. Back there's, then there was a thing called a universal franchise offering circular. Uh, um, that was in the, I think that went out of vogue in like the nine, mid nineties. And then uh-huh. so um, in the when we started opening up the next ones, you had to mm-hmm. offer what was called an FDD. So you had a, okay. it's a financial disclosure document. Yep. All franchise ors have to have to make them up, sure. and they're a really long. And really, you need an attorney. You do, yeah. And don't download it from the internet. Bad no, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah I right. mean, you can uh, obviously. Well, so my attorney trusted me to work on the guts of it myself, sure. you know, and then mm-hmm. send it over, and and then he he did the rest of it. He, but yeah, but um. Yeah, get it right. You know, it's it's an expense, but get it right. Don't mess around with that. Right. So, what kind of stuff is in one of those? It's almost like a it's almost like a business plan. Uh huh. It's and and a sales document at yeah. once. So you basically describe your business. Mm-hmm. The first part of it describes your business, you, the history, mm-hmm. um, your product, your processes, mm-hmm. um, and there's a bunch of legal things in there you have to describe, like you know. Uh, I don't know. Just, just there's a lot, a lot so of. So is it like a stock offering document could, where there would be like disclosures of all the risks yes. and all that? That's yes. all in there. Yes, and you yeah. kind of do like an industry summary. It's yeah, not, it's yeah. not always just specific to your, mm-hmm. uh, you know, location, but you do like an industry summary sure. kind of risks, and you. Um, so it does sound a lot like an offering memorandum, yeah. and you give a history. Mm-hmm. Um, and you give you give personal histories too of mm. you know all the people in charge. So basically, it was only me. Yeah, but yeah, right. I had a you know any any. Things that you've have experience wise, or also mm-hmm. if there's anything negative, you need to disclose mm-hmm. that too, which you know there wasn't, so that was good. Yeah. But um. And yeah. and was it things like um, as a franchisor, you have to use our sign, and you have to use yes. this, all the things yes. that you had to, they so, had to follow, right? It's basically so when when you when you do a franchise, mm-hmm. um, there's two documents, right? There's the FDD, yeah. which is kind of like the pre-intro thing you have to give people before you'll even you can even talk to them okay and then there's the uh the actual franchise agreement mm-hmm. and the ftd was basically a summary of your franchise agreement okay. so you did you did mention in there like you have to use this kind of thing for yeah. sauce but you didn't give out the exact recipes like you would in the, right. in the franchise yeah. agreement mm-hmm. you know so it's mm-hmm. basically a preparing somebody document for right. the franchise agreement right and then the follow-on document is is a big long thing it sounds like it would be the franchise agreement yeah yeah they're both pretty long they're I both think pretty both long. were my 
my uh, FDD was 40 some pages and mm-hmm. my franchise agreement was right around there, 40 to 50. Mm-hmm. And the bigger companies you see, like mm-hmm. a big giant national franchise, mm-hmm. their FDD will be 120 pages. Right, it's crazy. Right. I mean, the, the amount of stuff they have to disclose. So I was, uh, along the way, I was on the board of a company that, um, that designed, fabricated, and installed restaurant interiors for companies like McDonald's. So that's neat. So, um, so we would go to the, they would have, bring the board. It was really fun to the big um, national McDonald's franchisor show, which was crazy, right? That people from all over the world are there with oh, franchises. Yeah. And um, and they would do things for the franchises like um, um, programs to incentivize them to rehab all their stores, right? After Because oh, sure. these are McDonald's yep. that some of them had been there for 40 years and they're trying not to have Ronald McDonald anymore, right? <laughs> yep. And, and um, is, did you end up doing stuff like that or not so not much? Really, I, we never really got big enough for yep. that. Yep. And I, personally, as, as just personally, I had a hard time making franchisees Spend a bunch of money to like change a look or something like right. that. I'd rather they invest their money in their actual business and mm-hmm. take some home, you know, right. profits. Uh, right. So, I mean, we didn't really have those incentive that wasn't programs. So we bad. just we just weren't bigger. I mean, McDonald's is it's so crazy. much on a different level than we ever were. Yeah, it's so crazy. Everything about that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they had their act together all the time either. Actually, yeah. so uh, anyway, so um, all right, you so you have these two documents. So how did you? How did franchisors hear? You know, prospective franchisors hear about you? Franchisees or franchisees from franchisors? Yeah, from yeah. Um, it was man, it was always different. So yeah. some were employees, uh-huh. some were customers. Uh huh. I think once. In the like 2008, 2009, I ran a couple ads in Craigslist. Oh, um, some heard about me from suppliers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was very, it was very rare. I don't think ever did I open, did, did any of the franchises open that didn't have some sort of connection back to us. Mm-hmm. We weren't big enough to the point where I was actually paying a franchise broker to go out and, and sell our, our So business. there is such a thing as a franchise broker. There are. There are franchise brokers, yep. Interesting. Yeah, and a lot of yeah. these bigger companies, and even the smaller ones now mm-hmm. use them, but they'll they'll take, you know, they want fifteen to $20,000 for every location oh, they, sure. they sell for you because yeah. it's a lot of work for them. But Of course. You know. But yeah, there yeah. are franchise brokers, and, and there's franchise like uh, expos where you can go to, and yeah, that's that's really the way a lot of places grow now. Mm, interesting. So you you go to a, go to the expo, and then prospective franchisees can shop different yep. opportunities there. Yeah, you just set up booths, and everybody has their pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm guessing sometimes you bring samples of stuff. You know, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. How did you decide what to charge a franchisee? That evolved over time yeah. a lot. So originally, like my first franchisee, mm-hmm. I didn't charge him anything. Because, right, because it mean, was sort of this informal, le- informal yeah. level of doing yeah, this, I, right? I didn't feel I'd earned the mm-hmm. right to have him pay me for something that we didn't know if it was going to work or not, right? Mm-hmm. So I just didn't charge anything. And then I kind of got to the point where I started charging... Uh, basically, my costs, you know, like mm-hmm. legal costs, because it costs a lot. Each store, you know, oh, you gotta, yeah. you gotta write a specific franchise agreement for. You gotta do some searching, a lot of trips, a lot of traveling, a lot of overnights, you know, a lot oh, of sure. So 
I charged basically what it cost me. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end when we started getting more, mm-hmm. like I just went with a basic fee mm-hmm. that would put a little bit of profit in there for me. But still, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to keep it low. I still, even before I sold it, I didn't feel like we had really reached the point where I could mm-hmm. demand a high um, you know, a high number there. Right. Like some some places now I'll charge you twenty five thousand dollars a store and I just didn't right. feel like I had earned that. Yet. Yeah, and McDonald's you add a zero to that plus, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So so you make your money through royalties then, is that yep. right? So basically in a franchise model, there's three ways franchisors can make money, mm-hmm. right? Your first, you can make a little bit of money with your initial franchise fee. Mm-hmm. Second, some franchisors control their product by buying inputs mm-hmm. and selling it to their franchisee, mm-hmm. like say, you know, a Domino's pizza. Mm-hmm. You will get your stuff through Domino's. They'll buy it. So they buy a gazillion pounds of mozzarella. Yeah. And yeah. and then they mark it up 10 to 15% yeah. and sell it to their franchisees. Mm-hmm. And that's another kind of profit source from them. Sure. But then the main profit source for every franchise or is royalties. Mm-hmm. And it's an ongoing thing. And it's mm-hmm. it's off the top line, not the bottom line. Right. So it's a great thing. Right. And and so what did you feel like you were... That, so you're getting this royalty. What are you giving them in exchange for that? Process and support, mm-hmm. and eventually, you know, a name mm-hmm. and um, just a good product. And I, I didn't keep, I didn't charge a crazy high royalty either. Right. Um, some places, you know, you hear of paying up to upwards of ten percent as mm-hmm. a royalty. We kept it a lot lower than that. Right. Um, right. But it was mostly support. I would mm-hmm. say support mm-hmm. process. And you know, you're kind of, you kind of, kind of look at the royalty as you're doing a lot of work up front to set these people up. Sure. So you're kind of getting paid back slowly over time. Sure. Well, and I think I think franchisees think, wow, this would be an easier way to start a pizza place, yes, right? Yep. Because I, I suppose I could do it, but then I got to make, I got to learn all this stuff. I got to make, you know, about process and why not benefit from having the knowledge of somebody else? Yeah, agreed. And, yeah. and the whole theory of franchise franchising is mm-hmm. that the the risk involved is so much lower. Mm-hmm. It's something like. A, a normal, say, restaurant like mine, you'd have a one in four chance of making it after right, five years. Whereas right. a franchise, are like seventy-eight percent. Really so interesting. It's way higher. Way higher. Yep. Yeah. And so, were you kind of mentoring all these the folks? Oh lot? Yeah. yeah. I was really hands-on. Yeah. Uh, as a franchisor, I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time going to these places, and mm-hmm. we'd have phone calls all the time. And nice. Uh, I just wanted to make sure they they had they felt. Like the royalty they were paying me was being earned. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be an absentee, mm-hmm. you know, no representation type sure. franchisor. Sure. So how many how many stores did you peek at before you decided to 15. sell? Fifteen. Okay. Fifteen. Yep. And we yep. had. I mean, I think grand total we had opened up a total of eighteen, mm-hmm. and um, over time four or five were sold off. Okay. Only one failed. So interesting. You can't say it's, you know, a hundred percent risk free, but only one actually failed. And it no, that's failed miserably, amazing. but it failed. Yeah. 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 And and so some of them sold off along the way. Yep, they did. You know, you people's leases would run out or their franchise agreement would run out mm-hmm. and we would have a very civil discussion, and you sure. know if they didn't want to do it anymore. I I never wanted to make people feel like they had to do it. Last thing you ever want to do is when somebody owns a business, keep it 
you want to keep it so that they're motivated to own that business, right? Oh, you don't want of them course. To, you want them to not want to be there. Right, that right. Just, that benefits nobody. That would be bad, yeah. Yep. So did somebody else ever go in afterwards under with with your name or not? Usually, all the ones that sold off, there I think, like I said, four that mm-hmm. sold off. They I, they sold, we made them change name and product I see. and completely be different. And mm-hmm. and all of them were, were the ones that all ended up being like island locations. It was, oh. There was another one in Colorado. There was one in Florida. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, the lesson in that, right? Yeah, there's a lesson. Yeah. Where, where were the 15 that were? So grand total, there were, so we had, if you count like the Boulder, we had Boulder, Fort Collins, mm-hmm. we had uh, Orlando, Florida, mm-hmm. and then we had seven at one point in Wisconsin, Okay, five at one point in, in uh, Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? Because you wouldn't oh, think like... One in, te- one in Texas. One in That's Texas. Still going. There's actually still one going in Sugarland, Texas, which is right by Houston. Well, right by Houston. Yeah. Sugarland, Texas. Yeah. Wow. So what made you think about selling... That's a good question. Yeah. So my original goal when I got into the whole thing was to build it and sell it. Right. right. I had a yeah. kind of an age limit in my mind that I uh-huh. wanted to be done with it, and I, I went past that age limit a ways because uh-huh. you know things don't always grow the way you want right. them to. Right. Not always no. as fast as life, you thought. Life happens and yeah. things change. But um, I just I got to a point. It was about 2015 mm-hmm. when I said, you know what, things are going really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of like a stock, right? You want to sell sure, stock when it's sell, high. Sell high. Yeah, yep. sell high. Don't sell when you are being forced to sell. Right, um, right. But, and I said, you know, this would be a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in my early 40s at the time, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, I'm just kind of done with this. And I, I kind of realized that my... Like I just didn't have the drive that I did before sure. with, with pizza. I just wanted to be out of pizza. It was 20-some years, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be out. and. And like I said, anybody getting into a business, you should always kind of have an exit plan, right? Yeah. And that was my exit plan was to mm-hmm. sell when it was going good, not when mm-hmm. I was forced to. Right. Right. So you kind of said, wow, this might be the time. And then what did you do? So I just straight up listed it with a, with a business broker. With a business yep. broker. I didn't okay, want to mess cool. with it myself. Yeah. Because business brokers have so many more contacts and yeah, resources. Absolutely. And they're able to do all their stuff confidentially. Mm-hmm. You know, like they'll list a business and... You you can list your business and nobody will know it's for sale, right? right. Because everything's kind of confidential, mm-hmm. and and the people looking at it are confidential, and the meetings are confidential, and offers are confidential, and unlike uh, you know unlike say listing it on Craigslist or something like sure. that, or or on a, you know one of the a self serve website, it, it's not so confidential. And you want to keep things confidential, just employee wise, franchisee wise. You don't want people knowing. Of course. Yeah, no, Any selling any business, right? You don't want internal people necessarily no. to know until later. It, it's an interesting, every, um, I was on three boards um, in the past, and they all sold within like two years of each other. It nice. was interesting, right? That It was like all kind of my age and maturing, right? And everybody, all the founders are like, oh, maybe it's time to get out of this thing. And um, and every single one, including Tara's Way, we had somebody represent, right, Be- for the same reasons that you talked about. Just the idea of trying to do it without help is kind of crazy. It is. And, you yeah, know, you just know that they probably know they know how to sell a business better than I do. Yeah, right, exactly, because so, that's what they do that's all what the they time, do. Yep. right? And and every time they're expensive people, um, but every time I I think back to all of those sales and um, we the the owners ended up doing better than they would have 
right? Oh, had they so. not had representation like that. Exactly. And they vet your mm-hmm. prospective uh, purchasers, too, to make sure, you know, if they say they have the money, they have it. They actually have it, yeah. I think the biggest nightmare would be to sell a business to somebody. Because, you know, there's always owner financing involved right, when you sell a business right. like mine. It's to sell somebody who you thought had money and then didn't, right? That would right. be the worst thing ever. Right, so, yeah, right. Yeah, the business brokers are really good at at. at at figuring out people's financial situations. Right, right. So how long did that process take? It took about 15 months, yeah. which was l- longer than I had thought. Yeah. Because it's kind of weird, but it's it, when you're running your business, with, when you're knowing it's time to sell, you're just not quite as focused as you thought you would be. Mm-hmm. You know, like that whole fire lit under you isn't quite as lit as it was before you listed it for sale, right? right? So you kind of right. got that senioritis thing like you had in high school, right? Like, right. Like you're just about done. So. Mm-hmm. so, Yeah, no, and that, and then uh, one of the scenarios with the com- board that I was on, not my own company, but um, things like fell apart in the middle, right? Oh, and man. so then you're like, you know, founders half out of the business and you're like, oh my God, I got to get re-engaged with this. Absolutely. And then in the meantime, the economy is, you know, taking a dive or whatever. It's it's such a stressful time, isn't it? It was. I yeah. mean, it was, but in a good and bad way, like mm-hmm. stressful in that, oh my God, what if this never never sells? Right. Or like you said, what if we get another 9-11 or what if we get some sort of, crazy, you know, 2008 crisis all over again. Like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. but it's start all over again. You had to start all over again and <laughs> yeah. it ain't over till it's over. No, it right? wasn't over till the, yeah. the check was in my hand. I know. Yeah. Then you mm-hmm. believe it. Then it's yep. time to open the bottle of champagne. Yeah, Not until. <laughs> yeah, I, I sold mine on New Year's Eve. So that was you a really did. good. You uh, did? How crazy. Yeah. Really good did they backdate it a year? Or no? no, no. Well, I mean, I still, so yeah, it was, we, we wanted to, to do that for, oh, for, for tax reasons. Yeah, for tax yeah. reasons. That's uh-huh. why the person bought it that way. But yeah. Yep, yeah. New Year's Eve, I was sitting in my lawyer's office and we were hashing things out. Wasn't that great? Yeah, amazing. So um, so you sold and um, the new owner is growing it or what is their trajectory? He's trying. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, my part of my thing when I sold it, you know, because even though you want to kind of ignore it after you sell it, it's still kind of your baby. So yeah. part of our agreement is, so I sold it as, um, I, I would stay on it as a consultant for, oh, for sure. some years. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's trying. I mean, he's, it's different now. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it's not me anymore. So right. he's got to do with it what he does with it. Yeah. Um, so I hope I a, hope they I hope they do well. Yeah, it's such a it's such a weird feeling, isn't it? I got um, so and it's because my name is on the can, right? Oh, so, that's true. Yeah. Right. So I. Um, I've had to watch the brand be managed by other people, right? Mm. And there have been things along the way that I just wanted to cry. Like, I bet. Oh, I can't believe they did that, right? And then there's some things that I go, wow, that that's, yeah, that's really good. I like what that's, you know? And it, But it's even, and in my case, I'm not consulting anymore. I have no relationship whatsoever with the company anymore. But there's still this part of you that... It was like your baby, right? And it's Absolutely. always your baby. Yeah. Luckily, I did not name mine yeah, Jason's right. Pizza. Jason's so, pizza. Like, mine was completely as far removed name-wise Perfect. as possible. Although yeah. everybody thought my name was Falbo for a bunch I'm of sure years. I'm sure they did. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it is just psychologically, it's a weird thing, even if you don't. So so you're still consulting with them yeah, a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I mean, but consulting is a heck of a lot different than actually running it, right? Oh, like consulting, God, yeah. Consulting, you give suggestions. Yes. And 
most of the time, those suggestions kind of go right over somebody's head, right? right? So because you know they actually are the people putting the money into it now. Right. So you know when, when you when you run a franchise, mm-hmm. you know what you say goes, it better go, or or things are going to go wrong. Go bad, right? yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a big difference with consulting. That's kind of one of the things you have to kind of get over. Like mm-hmm. it took me a little bit to get over. Like oh my gosh, what I say doesn't really matter yeah, anymore. Yeah, right. They don't care about nope. me anymore, right? <laughs> it, it, and it's funny. It's like the next day people don't care about no, you. You true. know, I mean they do, but. It's a very strange it the is. dynamic around that is so strange, yeah. So, um, so the new owners is gonna they're gonna do what they can to grow it. Is I hope that so. their that ambition? Was the original goal was yeah, to get that good. thing going. When I when listed it for sale, I specifically told the business broker mm-hmm. I wanted somebody who had a plan right. and wasn't just gonna. Because it's possible with a franchise, you can just sit back and collect. I mean, right, you right. can work zero hours right. and get those royalty checks because you're bound right. by those legal franchise agreements. But I didn't want—I didn't want to sell it to somebody like that. I wanted yeah. somebody who had some ambition, some mm-hmm. experience with with food, mm-hmm. and you know, and yeah, s- to to see the thing grow. Because I because things I don't know the world changes. You have to. You can't. You can't stay still. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And it takes money to grow. Too. It does that's take money thing. to grow. God, that's why I started the Food Finance Institute, honestly, because I wanted food companies to be able to raise the money they needed to grow. And it's such a it's such a complicated thing these days to raise money for yeah. anything. Yeah. It's true. There's yeah. a lot of money out there, though, now. <laughs> There's a lot of money, but exactly. it's hard to raise, you're right. But it's hard to raise, and yeah. people don't, you know, and they just because you run a business or grow a business doesn't mean you know how to raise money in a way. It's kind of a separate thing. And 100%. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's really why I did what I do, why I do what I do right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It is great. So um, so you, you've, uh, how long have you been out? So I sold it um, December 31st, 2016. 2016. So almost three years Almost now. three years. Yeah. 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 So do you ever get the itch to do it again? No. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> no. It's just, it's different now, you know? Yeah. It, 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 starting something in the 90s. Right. And starting something in 2019. Is different. Are completely different. Yeah. You know, prices, I don't know if it's, because of what's going on with the economy or whatever, but prices and inputs are a lot more haywire now than they were back then. Rents are really high, and employee situations are more difficult, and there's more competition, and you know, it's just, it wouldn't have went. There's no way I could have started what I did then, now, yeah, and it would have turned out the same. Yeah, I get it. I I was at Expo West, which is the big natural food show. Uh, biggest and this last year and wandering around this thing it's huge it's like comdex used to be it's like oh, wow. like trade show floor after trade show floor after trade show floor and the, the entire anaheim um expo was full so full that they they had um the newbies in the hotels and it was <sighs> crazy and i'm wandering around there going i don't I don't. I'm really glad I didn't launch Tara's Way now because it would have been really hard to do what I did. Yeah, yeah. Because I launched in, in the recession. Oh yeah. Yeah. Another. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's good to launch it in is. a recession. And that's when we grew, opened mm-hmm. our most stores. Was 2008, 2009, 2010. We had our biggest growth. Yeah, that's when I launched. Because mm-hmm. people were looking. You know, they lost their job or right, and they were looking for something else to do. 
And so they did that, and there was a lot of available space yeah. to rent at decent prices, and mm-hmm. that's when we grew. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It, it makes sense. Yeah, right. Now it's it's upside down. I think we, we need the—it would be nice if the economy slowed just a little bit, like, and yeah. maybe I'm going to get my wish. <laughs> get, you know, like. get distortions out of it. Yeah. That's the problem with, like, things are just distorted right now, right, right. with, like, weird— interest rates that don't belong where they're at and money being printed that shouldn't be printed. Like it's just, it makes it harder. And you're, I think you're right. You're going to, you'll probably get your wish. I, mean, I think yeah. I'm going to get my wish. Yeah. yeah. I just, just gentle would be my wish. Not yeah. another one of these collapse things that we yeah, have gone through. Or just return to an equilibrium, right? Yeah, like the yeah, way yeah. things should be, like interest rates should be where they should be, right? Mm-hmm. Not where somebody's making them. Right. Yep, I think. Right. I think you're right. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. So, okay. So you're having fun doing what you're doing now, which is consulting with, with young startups and and other people too. Yeah. 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 I enjoy it. I mean, I'm pretty new at it. Mm-hmm. Only been doing it for about five and a half months, but mm-hmm. it's neat to kind of have a decent amount of experience to fall back on mm-hmm. um, to help people. I Absolutely. don't necessarily have any experience in some of the businesses that I consult, but I know a decent amount about business, yeah. so that helps, and I can give people advice. And mm-hmm. the cool thing about working for the university and the SBDC is there's lots of resources, mm-hmm. like you, to steer mm-hmm. people towards if I need to. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have always have to have all the answers. I just kind of need to steer them in the right direction, right? Right, and connect them with people. And, and honestly, your background, having taken an idea in your head all the way through to a sale is hugely valuable to people because there aren't there aren't a lot of us who have done that right successfully and um true yeah and you can work with people on any any time all along that continuum right you have experience so that's fantastic so we've we've talked through your whole arc um did we miss anything not really. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing exciting that I think anybody would want to hear. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, just what I want, pe- I want people to know is, you know, it's 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 not a straight line, right, to get yeah. there. So there were ups and downs, as you can tell by kind of the gaps that I had mm-hmm. in growing stores, you know, and didn't really sell it as early as I wanted to. That, mm-hmm. you know, it's something you just got to focus on and stick with and mm-hmm. hope that you get some breaks and, and work hard. Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of hard work in being an entrepreneur. I think our culture has kind of romanticized entrepreneurship in a way, right? And yep. it's really cool to be an entrepreneur and can't wait to do all this. And what that doesn't really capture is all the hard work and long oh, yeah. hours and uncertainty and risk and, yeah, yeah, personal guarantees and all that fun yeah. stuff that comes along with it. You have to be... You have to you have to embrace risk a hundred percent if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You can't really have much risk aversion at all. Yeah, because there's times when things are just so uh, like unconventional the way mm-hmm. you handle things to get to certain answers that you know if you had any sort of risk aversion, you would probably avoid making decisions that get you to the right, right. place. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I would. I always say a joke about attorneys is that they make terrible entrepreneurs because they get in law school. Your, you know, risk management is all what they're about, right? True. So, yep, exactly. yeah, then you get into these entrepreneurial things, and it's all about risk. Yeah, it is, and sometimes you. Don't always listen to what your attorney tells you because yeah. you just can't either you don't agree or you can't afford what he's telling you to do, right? Right, so. or right. Or or it wouldn't I I had an investment banker once tell me that if we listened to they they were very careful about what what MA attorneys they use because 
a lot of times the attorneys would come up with so many risks that they would kill every deal that they worked on, right? Because yeah. you can't engineer all the risk out of a, out of a acquisition. It's just, Ever. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. Nope. Well, thanks so much for joining us. This is so awesome. fun to hear your story, and I'm sure lots of people are going to benefit from that. Well, thanks for having me on. That's, that's great. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.